Well, happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Pray that you have an amazing day today. Uh, we're so thankful for all of you and just hope today is a day to relax, uh, to do some of your favorite things or nothing at all. Uh, enjoy your favorite meal and make sure you get spoiled really well. Um, now, it wouldn't be Father's Day if we didn't do a few dad jokes. Last year, we did the dad joke face-off. Uh, this year, unfortunately, we can't do that. But I thought, you know, it wouldn't be Father's Day without dad jokes. So I'm going to share a few dad jokes with you. So, like it or not, here they come. All right. You ready for the first one? Here we go. So, why are elevator jokes so classic and good? Because they work on many levels. That's right. How about this one? I wouldn't buy anything with Velcro. It's a total ripoff. <laughs> okay, two more. This one. What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? It's an irrelevant. Oh my goodness, that's bad. An irrelevant. Yeah, Ugh, groan. And then last one. When does a joke become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. So bad, but so good. So there's a few dad jokes for you today. I hope you hear a whole bunch more. Thank you, dads, for all you do. And we are praying God's strength and blessing over you uh, this year. Well, we're continuing in our series this morning uh, entitled God is God is. And we've been asking this question over this year. Who is God? And essentially, it's an invitation to all of us to do the work of theology, to discover who God is, not just based on what we've been told or what we've learned from other sources, but to go to his word, to go to him in prayer and to discover for ourselves who God is. Because when we understand who God is, it will affect every other dimension, every other aspect of our lives. And so uh, our theme for this morning is God is father. Now you might recall a few months ago, I actually preached a message entitled God is father. So this is part two. And as is in, as is the case with pretty much everything when it comes to, uh, to God, one conversation, one study, one sermon, one book, it's not enough that there are facets and dimensions to who God is uh, that need to be explored, that go so much deeper than just surface level. And God as father definitely fits into this description. See, there's so many aspects to his fatherhood. In fact, his, the last message I, I preached on God as father focused on God's loving embrace, as we see in the story, in the, in the, uh, the parable of the, the prodigal son or the lost son who comes back to his father's and and embraced by uh, his father. But that's just one dimension of the father's love, of the father's heart for us. And so I want to look today uh, at another aspect or another facet of God's love for us as a father on this Father's Day. And to do that, we're going to look at one of the passages that was in our journal reading, in our Lectio Divina journal reading uh, this past week. So if you would turn in your Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19. The verses are also available in the chat section or in the notes section and uh, the online church platform. 
and then also uh, they're also going to be on the screen here in just a minute. So if Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, reading from the ESV, this is what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a great passage. Paul write, writing here to the church in Ephesus uh, and this being a letter that would have been shared with a number of churches read in a number of places. And he's writing to strengthen and encourage the church in Ephesus. And we know this about the, the, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus is it's kind of our marching orders as a church. It's, it's kind of the handbook on how to do church, how to be the people of God. And this is such a key portion of this book, of this letter that he writes and so many good things in here. But he starts out saying this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father, before the father, not a father, the father. And then he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth uh, is named. It's an interesting statement from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Well, we, we don't have the benefit of in reading this in English is understanding the, the way that the Greek was written and in the Greek word for father, the word that, that Paul would have used when writing this letter, when he's refers to bowing his knees before the father uh, would, would have been the Greek word pater, pater. And it's, uh, and it's, it's, it's just this description of a father of uh, our heavenly father. But similarly, the word for family, when he says from every family, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, when he says family, he would have used the word patria, patria. So pater is the root word of the word patria. And so we see in this that that family is de derived from God, that family is derived from God. We understand this about uh, the Lord is that is that God is father, but we don't have God, the mother. We just have God, the father, that he is complete. And so sometimes in our thinking about God as father, we can maybe wonder, well, what what about the rest? Well, God is God is complete. And so when we apply the term father in a, in a physical sense, in a human sense, uh, we miss out or we can misapply one of the dimensions or the multiple dimensions of who God is. And so, whereas God is the author of all things, the father of all things, that he was the initiator of all things. When we think about an earthly father, we know that uh, you can't have a child without a father and a mother. And in fact, a family unit is when a father and a mother come together and, and raise a child in the ways of the Lord. And so it's, it's interesting here that Paul says that we derive our name, patria, that we derive who we are as the family 
uh, whether it's a family of God or even the, the nuclear family, uh, the family unit, that we are under that covering, that we are de- derive our identity from who God is, from the Father. And Paul goes on to point out a few things, and there's four things that I want to speak to today out of this passage. The first is this. He says, be strengthened, be strengthened. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, from the moment that a child is born, uh, the parents, mom and dad get to work nurturing and caring for that baby taking care of all of their needs, giving them affection, holding them and, and just, you know, doting over them, holding them when they're crying, feeding them when they're hungry, bathing them and changing them when they need to be changed. We know this about an infant. They're absolutely helpless. They're completely and fully dependent on the mom and the dad. They can't do anything by themselves or for themselves. But we also know this, as that process of care happens, that that child grows stronger. And I know for parents, there's that moment of delight when a toddler will take their first step. They'll stand and kind of do that, that unstable stand thing. And, and then they start taking their first step. And right, it's that you don't want to miss it. You want to capture it on video and everyone is celebrating well, that, that moment of joy is usually followed by that moment where you realize how much is now in reach of those little hands. Now that that little boy, that little girl is up on their feet and mobile, all of a sudden, all of those things that were on the lower shelves have to go up and they're grabbing at everything. See, they grow stronger and they, they, they're able to then do things for themselves and, and stand on their own two feet, both literally and figuratively, that, that, they, that, that we invest in our children so that they w- will grow in maturity and understanding and knowledge and ability uh, and, and so that they'll be prepared for the life that they have ahead of them. And we know this, how kids start out is super important, super important, even in psychology and understanding that even precognitive memories, things that from our, our infancy that we don't recall, that we can't, we, we can't recall, have an incredible impact in shaping who we are. And so those early years are so formative. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 22, 6, start off, uh, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. How you start training a child from they, when they are young will not leave them even into their adulthood. There's a point of encouragement here. Maybe you're a parent whose, whose child is not serving the Lord and not walking with the Lord. Uh, know this, that the investment you made out of the word of God into their lives w- will not depart. It will stay with them and just keep praying those prayers uh, over your children that they will return to the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 Paul also writes here in Ephesians, he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A clear charge to fathers. Don't don't frustrate your children. Don't don't neglect your role in bringing them up in the training 
and instruction of the Lord. And his, he, what he's saying here, the, the exasperation is, is not, don't think, do things to irritate your children, but it's exasperating for a child when they are not trained in the way of the Lord. That's what Paul is saying, is that children need to have that foundation in the Lord. Well, in the same way, we come to God helpless. All of us do. We come to God helpless as a baby, as an infant that is not able to do anything in their own strength. And he brings us, God brings us to life through his son, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we are empowered by his spirit. And then his, our faith grows as Christ dwells in our hearts. It's a beautiful picture of us growing from infancy to adulthood in our journey with Jesus. In fact, Peter writes this in second Peter one, three, he says his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His power has given us everything we need that everything we need to grow in Christ is available to us to go grow stronger in him. But here's the danger. Here's the warning for us is that we will never reach a point where we no longer need to rely on him. The danger is, is that we start thinking that we've got this, that I don't need God to help me with this, that I don't need to rely on him, that we will always need to rely on him. We always need to come back to the father, to look to him, to call, call out to him, to seek out his love, his power, his wisdom, his strength, to discern by the Holy Spirit, the things that we're supposed to do, that we always come back to that source of divine power. And so we need to be strengthened in him. Paul goes on to say, my second point today is this, that we be rooted and grounded in love, that we be rooted and grounded in love. See, as you're strengthened as the work of God in your life by through, through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit strengthens you, what happens? Paul says you become rooted and you become grounded. He uses two pictures, two metaphors here. The first is that of a tree that you become rooted, that a tree will send down roots down into the ground, deep down to, to, to do, do a couple of things. First of all, it provides stability that a tree without a good root structure will not stand. It needs to be able to grow in order for a tree to grow up above the ground and for those branches to grow out and for it to spread its canopy. It needs to have roots that go equally deep and press down into the ground. And so the tree can't grow if there are no roots. The tree can't produce fruit if there are no roots. If, if it is in fact a fruit tree, as we're called to produce fruit in our lives, we have to have deep roots in order to produce fruit. And then the tree needs to be able to withstand storms. And the root structure is what prevents a tree from being blown over. It's not the size of the trunk, though that is important. It's the roots that go down under the ground that are so important. And so Paul says that we need to be rooted, that we need to have uh, the roots of our lives and the roots of our faith need to go deep into who God is so that we can stand so that we can be nourished so that we can produce fruit. But then he also says this, that we need to be grounded. And the picture here is that of a building, the foundation, 
that we need to be rooted and then grounded in love, that we need to have a foundation that is solid, a foundation that provides stability, a foundation that can be built on. See, you can't build a building if you don't have a foundation because whatever you build uh, on top of the ground without a foundation will come down at the first earthquake with the first storm, with the first whatever comes against it. It's not going to stand. Things will shift and move and that building will not, will not stand. And so you have to have that foundation. You have to be grounded. You have to be established. And so a foundation provides stability that can be built on, but it also provides protection from attack. And you never think about uh, a a foundation being the thing that provides uh, security uh, protection from attack. But if you think about it this way, if you don't have a solid foundation, you won't have solid walls. And so there will not be protection from those things from the outside forces that want to come in. And so Paul is saying here that we have to be rooted and grounded. We have to have a solid foundation on what, on which we need to build. And then he says this, what are we rooted in uh, and grounded in? We're grounded and rooted in love. We have to be rooted and grounded in love. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, uh, they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. That we have to love God first and then just like it, it, similar to that, we have to love people. This is, this is the place where our faith is rooted and established, where we grow into maturity under the careful care and nurture of our heavenly father, the one who watches over us. The greatest commandment, love God and love people. But we have to remember this, that, that loving God and loving people is not just a matter of will or effort. It is a response. It is an absolute response to the love of God. We can only love because we are first loved by God. We can only ever love because we are first loved by God. And so Paul says this, we have to be rooted and grounded in love. We have to be rooted and grounded in love because when we're rooted and grounded in love, we will know the source of love in our lives and we will be able to respond first by loving God and then loving people. In fact, my third point is this, as Paul goes on, it's that we would know the love of Christ, that we're rooted and grounded, grounded in love so that we can know the love of Christ. He says, we, we may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He makes an interesting statement here. He says that, that we would know with all of the saints that, that everyone who is a part of the body of Christ, that we would comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth. What does he mean by that? 
He's just talking about all of creation. Now there's some reference that is made to the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple, that it was a, 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 a cube that, that, that the height and the depth and the length were all uh, equal and that there's this picture of the presence of God there. Um, but it's also, it can also be interpreted as a reference to all of creation, that, that the length, height, depth, and breadth of, of all of creation, of everything that God has made. In fact, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor de- depth, there it is, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation. So here's this imagery that, that Paul is using, that when we are rooted and established in the, in the love of the Father, when we understand the love of, of our Heavenly Father for us, that we become convinced of what Paul was convinced of. That, that nothing can separate us from that love. That nothing can separate us from God's love. No trial, no storm, no persecution, no crisis, no attack. It's that picture of a father protecting his children, going over and above, doing everything he can to wrap his loving arms around his children. That nothing will separate us. That's an incredible place to be to know that we are loved by God. In fact, Paul says in in Romans, he says that this surpasses knowledge, that it surpasses knowledge, that we can't really understand that. Rather, it was in Ephesians, he says that. He says that that it surpasses knowledge, that we can't comprehend at times that you will not be able to make sense of it, that you'll just know it, that you won't be able to explain it You'll just know it. And that is the mark of, of faith that has been brought up by the Lord, that has been nurtured by the Lord, where we lean into him and long for him and press into him, that our roots are established, that, that they go deep, that our foundation is solid, that no matter what comes, that even in the midst of trials, in the midst of storms, as people are watching on, they're going, how how can, you, how can you be so calm? How, how can you put your faith in God? And you go, I can't explain it. I just know there's that assurance that comes from knowing the love of Christ, knowing the love of Christ, knowing what God has done for us through his son. You just know and that's a great place to be. It's a great place to live, but we don't have... We don't get there by accident. There's an intentionality there as we grow in the Lord and we allow him to nurture us and to care for us, to fill us. In fact, that's the final thought this morning. He says that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds good. Because it is good. That's a wonderful thing. As a good father, God wants the best for his kids. I don't know any dads who wouldn't want the best thing for their kids. Now, I know there's a lot of dads that get it wrong. And I know that all of us 
at times make mistakes. But at the heart of the father is this, I want good things for my kids. I want good things for my kids. And it's a reflection of the heart of God, that God wants the best for you. You are his creation. You are his masterpiece. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he wants the very best for you. And so he says this, that you may be filled, that you may be filled. He doesn't say this. He does not say that you may fill yourself. Go and fill yourself. He doesn't say that. He says that when we come to him, we open our hearts to him. We receive Jesus as our Lord. We receive him into our hearts. We're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That He begins to nurture us and grow us and strengthen us and, and root us and establish us. And at this point, our lives are open to him. And he says, I pour out and I'm just gonna fill you with everything that you need. In fact, he says, the fullness of God, that you would be filled with all of the fullness of God. What does that mean? It means that you will be complete, that nothing would be lacking, that the fullness of God is this picture of overflowing. It's, it's the picture in John 10, 10, when Jesus says that he has come to give us life and life to the full or life overflowing or life abundantly, that you would be lacking nothing in the presence of God. This is reflected by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. If that doesn't sound like a father's heart, I don't know what does that God wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants to fill you with the fullness of everything he has for you, that he has plans for you. He has a future and a hope, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. This is the heart of God. This is the father heart of God for you. And my prayer today is that you would receive that encouragement, that your arms, that your lives, that your hearts would be open to your heavenly father today to receive the good things that he has for you. I also want to do this. I want to encourage dads today. I want to encourage you to pray for your kids and I want you to pray. I want to encourage you to, to be a dad, to be a father who prays impossible prayers for his kids. It's good to pray prayers of safety and protection and provision but I want to encourage you dads, would you pray dream prayers? Would you pray impossible dream prayers over your kids? Would you speak prophetically in your prayers over your children? Maybe you're saying, well, Pastor Barry, my kids are grown and out of the house. Doesn't matter. They're still your kids. Would you pray over your kids that way? Because their heavenly father feels that way, that he wants to fill them with the fullness of everything that heaven has. And you're part of that. I want to encourage you to do that. Moms, you as well. Grandmas, grandpas, get in on that action. Get in there and start praying those prophetic prayers in the authority that God has given you as a patria, as a family who derives their name from their heavenly father, that this is a team effort under the covering of the watchful eyes of our heavenly father. 
as we raise our kids, as we look out for that, that next generation, as we impart to him, but then for each of us that we would look to our heavenly father and receive all that he has for us. Let's close as, as we pray. Father, today we thank you for everything that you are to us, that you are our source, that you are our provider, that you are our creator, that you are our good, good father. And Lord, I pray that we would receive from you the strength and the power and the wisdom, Lord, that we would be rooted and established in love. And God, that we would know your love that surpasses understanding, God, that we would be convinced of your love for us and nothing would separate us from that. Lord, I pray blessing upon dads today. I pray you would encourage their hearts. I pray that you would strengthen them for the task that you have, for the role that you've called them to as fathers. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great rest of your day. Please remember to invite someone to join you for service next week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.